0: And the excitement has come out of the East Coast, inside the Beltway, with the hearings all this week for a Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, to serve on the Supreme Court, that um, the future of church-state issues, which are so critical to our nation, has been certainly overlooked. Our guest today to talk about what a more conservative court means for the future of religious freedom and church-state issues. Jennifer Hawks, Associate General Counsel, Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, the nation's very oldest religious organization dealing with religious freedom issues in our nation's capital, in our nation. Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today.
1: My pleasure to be here.
0: So, you know, as we sit here, we still don't know whether Kavanaugh will be on the Supreme Court or not, but, you know, regardless What are the key issues that your organization is seeing, key church-state issues, that is, key religious freedom issues, that the nation is going to face in the coming years that the Supreme Court is going to be asked to weigh in on?
1: That is a great question, and we at the BJC um, focus solely on um, religious liberty issues, and so this is something that, that we're working with every day, and Religious liberty issues affect us in our everyday lives, so we'll probably continue to see cases about government promotion of religion, whether it's with displays or funding issues. Um, and also, um, a, a growing issue is the proper role of religious exemptions in our societies. And so we see that popping up any number of ways.
0: Okay, let's uh, take the first one first, government promotion of religion. What kinds of things, when you say that, are we just talking about like crosses on hilltops or... Ten Commandment monuments, or what issues are involved with government promotion of religion?
1: Well, I do think monuments will continue to to be an issue. We uh, we've seen a couple of cases with crosses um, that are working their way up, um, but a really big issue, especially with the current nominee, is uh, the role of uh, religion in public schools. And when government or or teachers acting in their uh, government role, there seems to be a lot of support for having you know, greater um, imposition of of religion through teachers, principals, and and superintendents on our public school children, um, and and maybe not allowing them to make the decisions of when or where that they would like to pray.
0: You know, we did a program on this many years ago in Sacramento, and a Muslim mother, parent, told really a rather emotional story about her child coming back from public school and asking to have a Christmas tree. And the kind of peer pressure of school and the culture of school made her want to have a Christmas tree. Now, you know, I grew up in a Jewish home. We had Christmas trees because we were trying to be American. But you can see where the influence of the school and the culture of the school can really put not-so-subtle pressure on kids to want to conform to the norm. The religious norm, if it's a religious culture, um, do you see much support for that kind of shift among some of the current Supreme Court justices?
1: I do think, um, we have seen, you know, a slight shift in that direction, which is highly unfortunate. Um, two of the great principles, our children have their individual rights to pray or wear religious garb or otherwise express their religious tradition and culture within their school context but they also have the right to not have religion imposed upon them by their school and by their teachers and it's an important balance that children are able to have both of those freedoms and so um the bjc robustly protects the right of children to express their own religion and free from uh, government coercion and control
0: now you mentioned you thought this would be particularly an issue if the current nominee were on the court is there something in his experience or record that suggests he would support more anything in Brett Kavanaugh's record to suggest he would support more overt religion in public schools.
1: Judge Brett Kavanaugh, when he was in private practice, he, um, helped to author a brief in a major school prayer case a couple of years ago that is called Santa Fe versus Doe. And the issue was really, um, mm. can, can students use, um, Santa Fe versus Doe? And the issue was really, um, mm. Can um, can students use the uh, school resources of a uh, sound system to amplify prayer at a football game? And the court came down squarely against the position that Mr. Kavanaugh had taken at the time. In his confirmation hearings, he seemed to lament the fact that his side um, had not carried the day. And so it's certainly a concern g- going forward that perhaps he'll be a little more like former Chief Justice William Rehnquist um when it comes to the issues instead of the justice that he might be uh replacing.
0: Now you mentioned Rehnquist. Um Brett Kavanaugh has been quoted as having praised Rehnquist's attack on the wall of separation between church and state. An attack which, at least to me as an outside observer, came earlier in his career and yet I think he kind of scaled that back. At the end of his career, when he considered the 10 commandment monuments cases. But what about this, you know, whole sort of right wing attack on uh, the wall of separation between church and state? Uh, do you think that that portends danger for, for religious freedom?
1: Well, as a Baptist, I'm a big fan of the metaphor of the wall of separation, in church and state. Um, of course, it was first articulated by Roger Williams who founded our first Baptist church on New Shores. Um, and then a little bit later, President Thomas Jefferson used the wall as a way to reassure Baptists in Connecticut that this new government was going to protect them. So, so throughout its history, this metaphor of a wall separating the institutions of church and state had a very positive connotation as positive for churches and positive for religious people. And so we seem to be seeing a, a shift in that and people wanting to say that the wall is negative and that the wall is hurting them. Um, but the institutional separation is what has allowed, um, our religious traditions here in the U.S. to flourish. So Baptists were once a persecuted minority and, um, and that is a position that we're no longer in. Um, thanks in large part to uh, this uh, constitutional separation of the institutions of church and state.
0: It's uh, kind of a stunning irony to me, Jennifer. That uh, religious groups, when they're in the minority, are very happy to see the wall of separation between church and state. And when they gain certain social and political clout and don't feel like a uh, battled minority anymore, uh, they're prepared to throw away the wall of separation between church and state and uh, cozy up to power. Um, well, what about, you mentioned not only government promotion of religion, and government funding of religion comes under that category, too, doesn't it? Yes, it would. Uh, do you see, in our current political situation, more impetus to direct government funds to religious institutions?
1: We have seen a few moves um, in this current administration uh, to relax the rules uh, between government funding of services provided by religious groups and in our country, we've had a very long um, and proud partnership. Uh, churches and other religious groups uh, being able to partner with the state government or the federal government to provide necessary services to members of our communities. But we've always had, you know, rules in place that the government isn't funding religion. They're funding the food at the food pantry. They're funding the healthcare service. They're funding. The actual service being provided. They're not funding the prayer. They're not funding a worship service. They're not funding evangelism. And, um, and so we are seeing, um, some groups who are wanting to blur that line so that, um, the government funding they get, maybe they get to do more of the evangelism and more of the, um, requiring a prayer with providing a food at the food pantry or, or whatnot. And, um, and that would be really detrimental. To religious freedom and our calls going forward, if that line gets blurred, so that we can't tell what the government's funding and and what it's not, because at, at the end of the day, our colonial uh, forefathers fought for a government uh, that wasn't going to fund religion and that was going to give them the freedom um, to choose what their religious path was going to be.
0: So, for those of our listening audience who think that we're completely whack because we think the church should be funded only by uh, God, as it were, by its members voluntarily and, and government funding is a threat. I would just point out to you that we very narrowly escaped legislation here in California that posed an existential threat to the survival of religious higher education to our colleges and universities. And these threats are not likely to go away anytime soon. So, you know, the idea of maintaining our independence is, is part of self-preservation, frankly. Um, but that's, that's another story for another day. We've, we've told it before on this show, and I'm sure we'll tell it again. Uh, we just have a few minutes remaining. Let's go to religious exemptions. Uh, how do you see that changing as the court swings more prominently to the conservative side?
1: It's definitely going to be an interesting um, to watch and to, to keep an eye on. Our country has has a long history of providing religious exemptions. They've usually been narrowly tailored so that we take into consideration all the interests that that might be impacted by this exemption, Um, and those are good and healthy exemptions when we take into account everyone. But if the move uh, goes towards just creating broad exemptions with no concern for other government interests, we're probably going to lose, you know, societal support for having um, religious exemptions, which would then threaten, you know, the system that we have if um, if we can't work together to create the exemptions that we need.
0: So this is a good point. I've been having an ongoing discussion with my son who's in law school about the balancing of interests in the Masterpiece Cake Shut case and, you know, the interests on the one hand of the LGBT community Have access broadly to public services and, uh, commercial services and not suffer discrimination and, um, you know, harm to their dignity and, and, and their self worth. Um, and on the other hand, the, the interests of, of Christians, you know, who have moral objections to, to doing certain things. Um, do you have an answer to, to those who say that, that even narrowly tailored exemptions for Christian conscience um, is really just uh, some kind of uh, support for bigotry.
1: Certainly can't speak for everyone who might claim a religious exemption, but I don't equate religious exemptions to bigotry or some other adjective that might come with it. And just with the example of our churches, our churches are allowed to hire on the basis of religion. They're allowed to discriminate in that way, and that's typically seen as, as a good by people who were inside and outside of the church. And so the question is, what are other ways that we might can create exemptions? And sometimes exemptions can be created and accommodated, and sometimes it, it couldn't be done or it can't be done without a lot of work. And, and so we need to have people who are willing to talk about what it is that they need and, and how we can still ensure that the government's interests are met because religious exemptions cannot exist in a vacuum. and um
0: We've been having a wonderful discussion with Jennifer Hawks, Associate General Counsel of the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, about the future of the conservative Supreme Court. Whether Brett Kavanaugh is the next justice or not, we still don't know. Here at Freedom's Ring, as we close, we want to remind our listeners we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate, all one word churchstate.org, churchstate.org, and listen to Freedom's Ring on SoundCloud or on your iTunes library. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed and get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rana. Until next week, we Let Freedom Ring.